there's something so very unique about Resurrection Sunday. And I, as a preacher, preparing for this Sunday, I, I study the gospel text that we're going to read from John, and, and I, and I want to do justice to the resurrection event. I want to dive into all the complexities of what God is fulfilling and has been wanting to fulfill through all the scriptures for you this morning. I, I want that, but of course, that would take weeks to do that, right? We only have one Sunday morning to look at the resurrection. But it, there is so much happening here in the resurrection event that is incredible. I, I want to point out that in all four Gospels, it is women who Jesus sends to preach the good news of the resurrection. And all Nazarenes say, amen, amen. Uh, that not showing partiality really comes through clear there, where the first preachers of the resurrection were women in such a male-dominated society. I want to point out the deep theology and how just as there was a first fruit picked by a woman in the garden given to a silent bystanding man in that first garden of Eden that leads to sin, the first fruits of the resurrection, Jesus Christ, is picked up on by a woman and then they bring it to her brothers silent and locked away. It is a grand reversal of the creation narrative where the first fruits of life brought death and sin. The first fruits of resurrection brings eternal life. And it is flipping that whole narrative around. There is so much I want us to recognize about the power of the resurrection this morning and how it brings to all culmination the scriptures and God's love for the world together. But like I said... We only have one Sunday to look at this. Hopefully it's not just one Sunday, though, right? Hopefully the resurrection defines every single Sunday we gather from here on out. So in the time that we have today, I just want us to focus on what it means to recognize the risen Lord. And I want to trust that you will go and intentionally recognize Jesus in the long, multidimensional relationship between God and the world revealed to us in the scriptures. Today I want to focus on grief and joy and how they shape the way we see the world and see the risen Lord. Pay attention to how John uses the words seeing, recognizing, believing, knowing, and understanding in the words I'm about to read. Pay attention to how grief plays in to Mary's encounter of the tomb. And then we're going to talk about how joy and grief meet together there in the garden of resurrection. John 20, 1 through 18, if you have your Bibles out with you, oh, would you turn there with me? We're going to read John's account of the resurrection this morning. John chapter 20, starting with verse 1. Early in the morning of the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple left to go to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was the first to arrive at the tomb. Bending down to look he in, he saw the linen cloths laying there, but he didn't go in. 
Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb, saw the linen clothes laying there. He also saw the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other cloths, but it had been folded up in its own place. Then the other disciple, the one who had arrived at the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Mary, though, stood outside near the tomb, crying. As she cried, she bent down to look into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. The angels asked her, woman, why are you crying? She replied, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they put him. As soon as she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me, for I haven't yet gone up to my father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them, I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Then she told them what he said to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I always imagine Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved were walking back after racing to the tomb, and he said to Peter, hey, I won. And Peter's like, you know what? It doesn't matter. No one's ever going to know. And John's like, I'll make sure they know. (laughs) For the rest of scripture life, I'll make sure that everyone knows I beat you to the tomb. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That is the joy of this Sunday, right? The joy of the resurrection. Celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. The stone has been rolled away. The tomb is empty. And not only is the tomb empty, the cross is empty. And death has been defeated. Well, this is what Mary finds in our scriptures today. The tomb is empty. The stone has been rolled away. So why isn't she celebrating? Why is she weeping? Instead of joy from her, we hear grief and sadness. Maybe there's something more we need to understand here about joy and sorrow and how they shape what we see and understand, especially when it comes to the resurrected king. As I was preparing for Easter and and studying this passage from John, I couldn't help but be reminded of one of my all-time favorite movies, Inside Out. If you, who all has seen this movie? Okay, Inside Out has to be one of the best portrayals of healthy emotional life I think I've seen. And it's a cartoon. You'll laugh, you'll cry, it's wonderful. But for those of you who haven't seen it, it's a movie about the need to be mindful about all of our emotions and not just preoccupied with joy. It tells a story of inside the emotional operations of a little girl named Riley. 
who has a great life in Minnesota. She's on the star player on her hockey team. She has great friends. She goes hiking in the woods behind her home, but then they have to move to the big city for her dad's job. And as you can see, joy, sadness, uh, fear, anger, disgust, they all stand at the operating table, and those are Riley's islands of personality right there, all thriving, trying to find their way throughout the world. This move on Riley is really difficult, and those orbs contain her memories and her emotions, and as you can see, that orb is blue, which means sadness, and joy is holding it. It's a really difficult move, but Joy is intent on spinning everything as positive as she can and keeping things optimistic. All the while, all the other emotions, especially sadness, just seem to be getting in the way of keeping things positive. She gets really upset. Joy gets pretty disgusted, shows some emotions herself, right? And she ramps up her efforts to try and get things positive. She even tells Sadness that she can't leave this circle. She puts Sadness in a circle and says, you're staying right here until the move is done. Everything is kept positive. We'll come back to you later. And all throughout the movie, you actually hear her parents say to Riley, just be our happy little girl. At various points, it makes Riley feel like she's not only having to ignore sadness, but she wasn't allowed to be anything other than happy. Well, just like real life, that never works. Riley starts to break down. Her islands of personality actually start to dry up and fall apart. She even tries to run away at one point, running back to Minnesota, back to her old life, until finally joy allows sadness to speak. As you can see, those orbs, her memories, joy is presenting them to sadness, to allow sadness to speak into her life. Because until this point, sadness had been repressed and not allowed to speak over her memories, and she was feeling sad and not given the permission to speak. So as soon as sadness is able to speak in her life, she runs home and is greeted with empathy and love by her parents. She cries for the first time in the movie in front of her parents and says, I miss Minnesota. This move has been really difficult for me. And her dad gets down on his knees with, with her mother and says, I miss Minnesota too. I'm sad too. And it's, a, it's an ending that you literally cannot help but cry at the end. Because finally she's able to speak sadness and been met with compassion. And what's the part of the beatitude that speaks to this the most? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be, right? When we don't ever allow mourning and suppress sadness, how is comfort ever given? Right? How is comfort ever given? Inside Out teaches them and us, the audience, to learn a valuable lesson that true joy isn't suppressing sadness. Amen? True joy isn't about suppressing sadness and only focusing on the good things, but rather it's being mindful of both joy and sorrow equally so that we can interact with ourselves and our world in a full and healthy way. Amen? Well, we as Christians, 
can get into a really bad habit of only focusing on the good and not the bad. We can become so preoccupied with things like the resurrection that we almost completely suppress the horror and sorrow of the cross. We Protestants have an empty cross in our sanctuaries, and the majority of our songs are happy, happy, joy, joy. Singing all the praises in public worship and leaving the lament and sad and sorrowful parts in the privacy of our own homes. We've built a culture where sadness and lament is not really accepted in public worship. We often treat them as if they are questioning God's goodness, God's control, or even doubting Christ's power to make things whole. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Where are we communicating our sadness and grief? Now, to give us grace, it's really easy to see why we fall into that temptation. The resurrection is a really good thing, right? The resurrection is so powerful and gives us such hope, so much hope that it's so tempting to only focus on the great power and forget all the rest. But we so often suppress those bad things to an extent that if anyone has a crisis of faith or needs to deconstruct their faith, they have to do that somewhere else than the church. Because we're not allowed to question or doubt or have laments or sorrows or get angry at how maybe the church has hurt us inside the church. Folks, we need to be better at that. We want people deconstructing their faith here. We want people doubting God here. We want people getting sad and lamenting here. You know why? So that we can comfort them. If we only focus on the good and the happy and the joyful, then we make people feel like they don't have it all together when they're sad. And they don't have it all together. Oftentimes, I don't have it all together. In fact, it's rare to feel like I have it all together. Those moments, maybe once a year, I feel that way, right? And it's when I'm sleeping. I have it all together. I'm, I'm great when I am asleep. <laughs> to fully know the joy of the resurrection, we must first understand the deep sorrow and grief of death. We cannot know the fullness of life if we suppress the reality of death and the despair it brings. There has been so much grieving and weeping over innumerable losses since Holy Week of 2020. The pandemic brutally took over loved ones. We've all lost loved ones, even from this church. We are afraid of our own potential death. Politics was made an idol in religious circles, and religion made an idol out of political leaders. And that has caused deep division in our culture and in our church. In 2020, 21 pastor friends of mine have left the church of the Nazarene. 21 of all different age groups. This isn't just millennials or Gen Xers. These are 21 pastors that I know of in my personal friend group have left the Church of the Nazarene. Many have gone to other denominations and others have left the faith entirely because of how they have been treated since Holy Week of 2020. Pastors are not immune to the deep pain and grief that this life can bring. John's gospel is addressing such a similar reality in his time, one of death, sorrow, division, and pain. 
For example, the word tomb appears most frequently in the Gospel of John out of all other Gospels, particularly in this chapter alone. Also, both forms of the Greek word of die are present more times in John than the total appearances of the New Testament. John wants us to focus on that. (laughs) This Resurrection Sunday, we visit the tomb of Jesus when it is still dark. Just like Mary Magdalene, it is still dark in our world. She sees the stone removed from the tomb. The message she delivers to Peter and the other disciples whom Jesus loved is about the missing body, not the good news of the resurrection. John's resurrection story is not a triumphal account, but instead leads us to look into the reality of death. For that is where we unexpectedly but intimately encounter the risen Lord. That was really good. When we authentically and truthfully face death in our world, that is where we unexpectedly and intimately encounter the risen Lord. John painstakingly describes how Jesus' disciples, both male and female, cope with death and the absence to come from his loss. Another word that John most often uses is the word the Greek word for see and know or understand. Mary Magdalene went to Peter and the other disciples saying that we do not know where they have laid him. The two disciples appear to compete to get to the tomb first, as we just laughed about. Go inside the tomb one by one and see nothing but the strips of linen and the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The beloved disciple seems exceptional because he saw and what? Believed. But the verse immediately following that seems to contradict this because he is one of those who does not yet understand the scripture, that Jesus must rise from the dead, verses 8 and 9. When John writes that the beloved disciple believes and yet does not understand, It is the Greek word for trusting, but without full comprehension. He trusts in what he sees. He has faith that something good might happen, but it's not fully comprehending the reality of what he's seeing. We've all been there, right? Holding out on trust, hoping for good things to come, even in the face of disaster, but not fully comprehending the time that we are in. If the beloved disciple believed that Jesus had risen, he would have probably gone back and announced it to the rest of the disciples, right? Although they are supposed to recognize Jesus, remember his words, and understand the scriptures, this is not the case for those disciples yet. They returned to their homes again so quickly. Did they not all step back when their teacher was arrested in the garden? After seeing the empty tomb, fear possesses them so that they, the disciples go to lock themselves in a house in, until evening of that day. However, we are told that Mary remains outside the tomb. And what does she do? She weeps. And I can't get over the fact that verse 11 says, she weeped and then she looked in. She wept, acknowledging the loss, acknowledging the reality of her dead teacher, her dead friend, her dead Messiah. And then she looks into the tomb and she sees. 
That just struck me. She is weeping, and then she looks, and she sees the angels. Only at this time, the time of expressing her grief and sorrow, does she look inside and see the two angels sitting where the body of Jesus was laying. When the angels ask, woman, why are you weeping? Her answers are the same as the words she spoke to Peter and the beloved disciple. They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Grief. Then Jesus appears to her, but again, she doesn't know that it's Jesus. This time, Jesus asks the same question. Woman, why are you weeping? But then asks a second question. Whom are you looking for? The last time that question was asked was in the garden surrounded by Roman soldiers under the guise of betrayal and denial. But this time, this question is asked in the garden to Mary by Christ in a way of affection and love. Who are you looking for? I can imagine Jesus with a twinkle in his eye saying, who are you looking for? Right? Why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? He speaks first to her grief, right? He speaks to her grief, empathizing with her pain, mourning with those who are mourning. She then expresses her same desire. They've taken away the, the body of my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. She wants to take her, the, her friend's body home to be loved and cared for to protect him there. There's another word that points to Jesus' embodiment here. It is flesh, and John uses that word a lot. From the outset, John declares, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus identifies his flesh as the bread that I will give for the life of the world. Resurrected, he still has the marks of violent death on his body. He knows the brutal force of death and sorrow, as well as the human frailty and its decaying flesh and pain. That's our Messiah. This is why Jesus, in his earthly life, wept with Mary of Bethany as she grieved the death of her brother Lazarus. Even though he knew he would raise Lazarus from the dead, he still wept with those who wept. He still felt deep sorrow of loss. Can you imagine how Lazarus felt standing at the cross? Can you imagine how Lazarus and his family felt seeing Christ's death? Now the risen Jesus sees Mary Magdalene weeping, he calls her by her name, Mary. Only at this moment can she recognize her teacher and her friend, Jesus. Now this is just my own assumption of this text. This is Ben Kramer reading into the lines of scripture, so take it with as tiny grain of salt as you can. But friends, I think the angels and Jesus were standing there the whole time. for whatever reason, Peter and the other disciple were trying to move past their grief and pain onto what's next. Trusting, hoping, holding on to what is good, but they were unable to see what was plainly standing in front of them. They still had faith, but they didn't sit in the reality of death like Mary did at the tomb. So they didn't see who was standing right in front of them and went quickly home. 
But when Mary sat there with her grief over the sacrifice of Christ's life, she looked into the tomb of death and Christ met her there. That is powerful. That preaches to me. We will not recognize Jesus if we do not face the sorrow of the cross. We can try to spin things in a positive direction, jump to the joy of Easter and sprinting through the heartache of the cross, but we won't see Jesus fully and understand the full work of God is accomplished through his resurrection if we first don't sit in our grief. Just like we remember when Moses held up the serpent in the wilderness and said, hey, guys, this is killing you. Will you believe it or not? Will you look upon it and be saved? We cannot deal with something we are unwilling to look at and acknowledge. So must the Son of Man be lifted up for the world to see and say, look, death is killing you and I've taken it upon myself so that it won't kill you anymore. Will you believe it or not? Those who look upon me and believe, see this death and acknowledge it and be saved. Are you with me this morning? Those who do not will be left so vulnerable to the darkness and brokenness of this world. When we suppress our grief and sorrow by not acknowledging death, we not only suppress our own spiritual and mental health, but we do not recognize the fullness of who Jesus is as Lord. Jesus isn't just the Lord of the living. Jesus is the Lord of the living and the dead. This is why he is found in a graveyard, bringing life to those who are dead. My friends, when it is still dark, we declare the light shines in the darkness and the darkness didn't overcome it. Amen? In our darkest days, we will see a glimpse of light. We often do not see Jesus standing in our midst, but he is there. On this Resurrection Sunday, it is okay that we still mourn. In fact, it's not just okay, it's essential. For in our sorrow, the risen Christ is standing there. Showing that death is not the final word over us, but God's love embraces the living and the dead. The ultimate presence of the wounded Christ is our comfort and joy. Amen? So don't just rush to the resurrection. Hold Christ's death and resurrection as the center of your history, your story, and the center of this world. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, you challenge us so deeply in the message of the cross. You are put up on display for the whole world to see, to, to acknowledge the sin and the sorrow and the death that still takes us over day by day. But Lord God, it is because you went to that cross that we no longer need to fear that death. But Lord God, if we don't acknowledge it, then we can't speak the light of your love, your power to those who are still being consumed by that darkness. We pray that if we sit with the power of your resurrection, that light is just shown so evidently in our own love for each other that the darkness is driven away because you are so fully present with us. Lord God, give us eyes to see. 
Help us to be healthy in our emotional and spiritual life so that we can sit with sadness and find the comfort of your joy, Lord God. Help us to not suppress the sadness to just run to joy, but to keep the sorrow and joy together. For the love that you have is the love that raised Jesus from the dead. And if we can't go there, how are we to experience your comfort or your love? Lord, help us to be deep people, abiding in the message of the cross and the resurrection. In Christ's holy name, all God's people send. Amen. Hey, we're so glad you found our sermon podcast, and we pray that this was a place of hope, healing, and peace for you today. If you'd like to financially support the staff and ministries of our church, we've made it really easy for you to do so. On our podcast page, you should see a button that says support, where you can set up reoccurring giving at 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. Or if you're interested in giving more, head on over to our website at euclidnaz.org slash donate. Thank you so much for supporting the mission of Euclid. We really do believe that the difference we can make for the kingdom is greater when we do it together. Blessings to you today, friends.